morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from the top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got Gonzo, also known as Super G, joining us on this Monday. Andrew Cashflow, also known as the Cashflow King. And Johnny Crypto may be joining us later in the episode, so I'm very excited for today. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Visa is now testing Ethereum for access to instant payments. As JP Morgan is doing all they can to scare investors away from crypto, releasing a new study showing 75% of institutions are not excited about this market. Ripple CEO David Schwartz tweets that his company is going public at $420. As Elon Musk responds on Twitter, betting with our community against the SEC. FTX is threatening 196 U.S. politicians to return donations from Sam Bankman-Fried, while Cardano is reaching an all-time high in development. Chainlink is expanding into Israel, launching a new initiative program to bring developers onto their blockchain. And with XRP buyback rumors in full effect, we break down the details, showing our listeners why XRP to 589 may be more realistic than ever. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Gonzo, we got a bunch of Ripple news prepared for today, but also Ethereum just turned deflationary. So we're going to talk about that as well. How you feeling, my friend? Thank you for being here. Good, man. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's going to be a, a great show. Hopefully, you know, Johnny can reach us. But yeah, man, it was a great weekend. Um, I got to, got access to Merlin, the beta version, you know, working on things. Uh, you know, I, I was telling Shelly, like, I, it's my job to break Merlin so that we can make sure it's unbreakable. So I was messed around with that. And then just uh, I started doing a lot of research in AI projects, trying to get like a list together because I, I do think, you know, it's a really good narrative. Um, if you look at the market, we had a major correction starting on Friday, I think, because of the, the job news that came in. But the AA projects were really strong. And, and I think it's going to follow kind of like what we saw with gaming and Meta. Remember how Meta changed their name? They made that huge announcement. And then all the uh, gaming projects ran, right? And then what happened? Eventually, we got a correction. And then those projects that are really kind of building kind of rose to the top. So I think we're going to see kind of the same thing with AI. Like right now, we're still... You know, we had the announcement with ChatGPT, with Microsoft, all the AI projects are running. That's the stage that we're in now. Um, and then we're going to get at some point a major pullback. And then the real projects that are kind of building and have a real utility, I think will rise to the surface. So I'm just kind of trying to prepare for that. Thank you, Gonzo. And I'm very excited because we got the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Andrew Cashel is back from his skiing trip. Andrew, why don't you fill us in on your vacation? How you feeling, my friend? Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, everybody. It's, uh, 5 p.m. here in the Netherlands, and indeed, I just uh, came back from uh, from my ski holidays in in Austria. So I know everything about sunshine in the mountains and fresh snow, and it was really it was amazing, wonderful hotel. And uh, you know what's also amazing that also when you're on holidays, crypto market just continues, the stock market just continues. And the stock market, you know, that's what I teach in my course. But it makes an excellent rally last week. And I made so much profit because for, for stocks, you know, I know when to get in. And I teach you also when to get out. And actually, more or less, my whole uh, ski holidays was earned back in about a week. So uh, 
I, uh, I can say I'm maybe not so uh, well informed yet about, about XRP and all the other stuff, but still making money and, uh, and having fun. So, uh, a humble brag for Andrew Cashel on this Monday morning. And we're going to start this show off the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Oh, oh, smash that follow button. We love talking to you. That was Andrew blowing his nose. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is sitting at a 56. We are in Sorry. moderate greed this morning. And it's pretty interesting because as this is climbing, the market, it's having a fairly flat day. We are sitting at 1.06 trillion in total market cap this morning. Bitcoin is 42% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. Bitcoin is sitting at 22,800. Ethereum, 1,600. XRP is 39 cents. Cardano is 39 cents. Matic is $1.20. We're going to scroll down to Quan Network, trading at $137 this morning, Gonzo. We got 171 live listeners already joining us on this Monday. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We got some great news prepared when it comes to Ripple, especially around the buyback committee. But Gonzo, before we get into that, why don't you tell us what you're doing and how are you operating during this bear market? It finally seems we're getting some bullish momentum. Yeah, you know, like, well, over the weekend, we kind of had a correction. I think on Friday, the job numbers came out, right? And I think it spooked the market a little bit because they came in better than expected. I think that um, unemployment is at an all-time low since the 50s, but we still have inflation that's high, even though it's in a downward trajectory. They've been talking about that maybe when the next numbers come out, it might come up a little higher. And so basically, now that unemployment is looking uh or, or jobs are looking very strong, it gives Jerome Powell and the Fed room to kind of continue raise rates. And if you look at like the statistics on the Fed, you know, we assumed that he was going to raise rates another 25 basis points, uh, you know, next month, but it looks like maybe they're going to add another month. So we kind of have to see what it plays out. But, you know, we did have a full moon on Sunday. So we kind of already kind of expected that we we're going to have some kind of correction. And so, yeah, I'm just, you know, still deploying my my investment thesis, dollar cost averaging to those projects uh, when they're below my uh, average entry price. Brief comments is this as well. We're showing our listeners a relatively new update as Ethereum supply has hit a new deflationary record. And this is one of the most optimistic things about the Ethereum upgrade. Ethereum is currently being burned, guys. And that means that the value over time should slowly increase. Gonzo, how do you feel about this deflationary news? And does this increase your trust in Ethereum or what's it mean to you? You know, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people think that um, I, I think they're underestimating the deflationary measure or the deflationary as, um, uh, the deflationary um, aspect is the word I was looking for of Ethereum, right? We've never seen it before. And I think that people think that, oh, it's going to get priced in, but, but I don't think so, right? It, the more that the Ethereum's used, the more that it grows, the, the more deflationary that it gets, right? We've got the new, uh, we've got the upgrade that's coming out, uh, the Shanghai upgrade that's going to um, allow you to unstake. It's been a main focus of them. They stripped away some of the other upgrades that were coming, like um, protodank sharding and stuff like that. And it's just focused completely on the upgrade, the Shanghai upgrade, which the testnet has already rolled out so far so good. Um, you know, you have a lot of people that are talking about Ethereum and saying, well, now that you have an unlock coming, that there's a lot of people that are underwater that had staked their Ethereum for a super long time and that they're going to sell. And you know what? I'm just not too sure about that, right? Because we've seen kind of a flip. We've seen it with other projects where, you know, usually an unlock meant that they would go down and we've been seeing rallies. We've seen the exact opposite. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that with Ethereum. We know that um, when you're allowed to unstake, it's not going to happen all at once. It's in the um, it's in the smart contract or it's in the programming that only a certain amount can be unlocked per day. So that was built in to kind of slow it down. But I wouldn't be surprised if we get the reverse, right? Everyone's assuming that what's going to happen is the price of Ethereum is going to is going to drop as Thank we get closer to the Shanghai upgrade. But I wouldn't be surprised if it worked in reverse because a lot of people are just going to leave their stuff stake. They're already earning yeah. about 4% yield and they could go up to like maybe 7 8%. Thank you, Gonzo. And we're about to switch into our XRP content for today. Uh, Andrew Cashel, I'd love to start off the show on this note. Just released a photo of the SEC's misguided case following two years of Ripple's relentless defense. Stuart Alderati, the lead lawyer at Ripple, is not only tweeting at the SEC, he's making some bold statements here. And I think it's optimistic for the market. At the exact same time as Ripple's general counsel is becoming more confident than ever, We've got the price chart completing our bear market regression and finally showing us some bullish momentum here, Andrew. So I'd like to get some thoughts on Stuart Alderati's tweet. Stuart Alderati publicly criticizing the SEC. Does this mean he knows something we don't? Because I believe it may have to do with the Hinman emails. Um, what, what are we actually looking at at the moment? So what we're looking at is the lead. So the lead lawyer for Ripple, Stuart Alderati, tweeted out a picture of the balloon, the Chinese balloon that was floating over America. That was shot down this weekend. So Stuart Alderati commented and said, just released the photos of the SEC's misguided case following two years of Ripple's relentless defense. The bubble has burst for the SEC. And so Stuart Alderati is feeling confident. Does that increase your confidence in the project? What we may not know behind the scenes. Mm, no, I don't know what you know. I know what I believe. And that's the, that is that XRP is a very good project. And, and Ripple is a very good company. And it's growing, growing and growing all the time. And of course, they, they it, it's it's not fun that, that they are so, uh, yeah, uh, treated, uh, badly treated by the, by the SEC. But on the other hand, you know, Look, look, when you see Brett Garlinghouse, he's always smiling. He's always looking confident. He's always going forward. So, um, uh, yeah, there, there, is a, there is a bigger play behind uh, uh, the, the SEC. And, you know, that's the elites. And we, we, we are missing currently the clock of, uh, of Johnny with, uh, with the red snake weasels. Yeah. But, but yeah, we, we, should, we should have it now. But, you know, XRP is just a good project. It takes some time. And uh, I've seen your other articles. You have some other amazing articles today about uh, about XRP. So uh, I think XRP is 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 here to stay, and at least to play a major role in the in the in, in the crypto uh, world, but also in the in the bridging world or uh, to uh, toward CDBCs. And maybe we do not like CDBCs, but on the other hand, it's also unavoidable because it's some yeah. It's what, what the central banks and the governments like the most. That's the control part. However, if we can make profit with XRP based on that they cooperate with CDBCs, yeah, you know, um, I, I like I like profits and I like taking profits. So if, if, if XRP will go up in the future, which, which I'm sure it will do, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy and I'm pretty confident it, uh, it will happen. Absolutely. So whatever happened with the NGC, you know, yeah, they just need time, and I, I would say don't worry too much. 
Absolutely, Andrew. And I'm excited to give our listeners this update here as a new crypto report shows the top crypto city hubs on the planet. Well, what is number one? Number one would be London. Then we have Dubai, New York City, Singapore and Los Angeles. Well, why is this so important that London is number one on this list? Ripple is cozying up to UK regulators amid global payments push. Ripple said it aims to befriend UK regulators as it develops its cross-border payment capabilities. And Ripple revealed that it plans to partner with London-based Modular, one of the few non-banks which has access to the Bank of England settlement system in order to make transactions from Europe to Asia, North America, Latin America, and specifically the Middle East. We're looking into a very specific problem that we're trying to solve, said Cindy Young, talking about the partnership with Ripple. And this is very interesting. I would like to say that we're friends with the Bank of England because we're working very, very closely with central banks and government regulators. This year, RippleNet has secured partnerships with the Central Bank of Bhutan, as well as Palu, to help develop CBDCs. We have regular meetings on a variety of topics, said Cindy Young, insisting that the company is in a very good position with regulators worldwide. And ironically enough, they're being sued by one of the most important regulators right now, Gonzo, as the SEC is coming after Ripple. So is this any positive news to you? What does it mean that Ripple's cozying up with the Bank of England, even calling them a close friend? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same thing that we've seen with uh, Brad Gollinghouse has talked about that they're acting as if they lost the case, right? They're going to continue to build their partnerships around the world and kind of build a use case for uh, their technology, right? For ODL, for XRP, for, um, um, and it, it's just a shame, right? That the SEC does what it does. And, and if you look at their tactics, there was a really good interview that um, our friend um, Thinking Crypto did uh, with, um, with Deaton and uh, I suggest that you go see it. And he talked a lot about like the library case and just some of the SEC's tactics, right? And, and um, not just um, some of the CEOs, like the CEO of library, because now they're going to be bankrupt, but their attorneys and just other projects and the, and the kind of tactics that the SEC uses to bully people, right? They basically just bully them into submission. They actually just bankrupt them. That's kind of like their MO. And finally, what's happened is they went up against Ripple that had a company that actually could defend themselves and had the money to defend themselves. But I mean, they have lost a lot of money, but um, I think for us, you know, we were lucky that that Ripple was able to stand up for themselves because if you look back at the SE's history, when it comes to crypto projects, um, they, they destroyed kick, right? They just destroyed library dragon chain. I mean, there's a whole list of projects that don't have the money to be able to defend themselves and they either go bankrupt or, they have to um, comply whatever the SEC says. So, um, you know, I still like my personal opinion is that they're going to win. But even if they lose, we just saw this in the library case. Even if they lose and they say that um, the original sales were a security, if they can get them to say that secondary sales are not a security, it's still a win for us as investors, right? It's what just happened in the library case. So even with the lose, we can still win. But um, I do think that they're going to win. I I think that the SEC has finally kind of met its match. Absolutely, Gonzo. And we got 209 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We are yet to get into some of these interesting topics for today. And Andrew Cashflow, we're about to get into them now because yesterday we had an interesting development from the Ripple XRP community. Check out the drama that we're dealing with today. So anybody who's been in the XRP community for over half a decade understands each one of these headlines that I'm about to read. Being a part of the XRP community comes with drama, so be prepared. The XRP community has worked through many differences of opinion. In 2017, it was the escrow. In 2018, it was the Ripple Riddlers. In 2019, it was the hard fork. 
2020, it was the Insider Club. 2021, it's the Quantum Financial System. Then we had ISO protocols. Well, now in 2023, we have rumors of an XRP buyback. And there's a lot that we can dive into when it comes to this committee. But I wanted to focus on this first. Yesterday, we had a massive update from David Schwartz as he announced he is going to be taking XRP private at $420. Funding is already secured. Now, he did comment underneath and say this was a joke. But why is this important, Andrew Cashflow? Just a couple of hours later, we had Elon Musk tweeting on his own Twitter account, 420. Now, there's one of two things that could be going on. Both of them are fans of marijuana, or they are looking at the same account, and Ripple and XRP are on Elon Musk's radar. So I'd like to get some brief comments before I put in my own. Do you think this is Elon Musk acknowledging David Schwartz only six hours after David tweeted he was taking XRP private at 420? Elon Musk tweets out 420 from his Twitter account. Yeah, you know, never underestimate these guys. I mean, there, there are, there can be uh, uh, messages underneath, and the 420 maybe had also something to do with the uh, with the with the stock price of uh, of Tesla uh, those days. So I wouldn't be so sure um, what, what's happening there. <clears throat> However, these guys are just making fun with each other, and 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 uh, what what yeah concerning uh, uh, Elon. You know, he also bought uh, he bought Twitter, and he he is also will he will make from Twitter also a payment platform, and maybe he he's making up his mind. Maybe should I use Dogecoin or should I maybe use XRP for this for this reason? So, and you don't know if they are talking with each other. Maybe they are tweeting with each other because of yeah the the, the outside public. What are they thinking? But you know, Elon can just pick up the phone and say, hey, David, how are you doing today? I was thinking about this and that. What do you think? You know, and nobody knows about it. And, and that's what's happening behind the scenes. You're on mute. There. Absolutely, Andrew Castle. Mute button got me there. But I did want to show our listeners this interesting update as well. This is not the first time that Elon Musk has tweeted at somebody in the XRP community and specifically a Ripple executive. So earlier this year, we had the Brad Garlinghouse tweeting out, the SEC wants you to think it cares about disclosure, transparency, and clarity. Do not believe them. When the truth eventually comes out, the shamefulness of their behavior here will shock you. And I want to remind our listeners, this was just a couple of weeks after Brad Garlinghouse and Ripple received the Hinman emails. Well, what did Elon Musk do? He took the time to respond and said, no way. So for anybody who doesn't know, back in 2018, Tesla was sued by the SEC because Elon Musk tweeted out he was going to be taking his company private at $420. Now, what's interesting, David Schwartz is obviously doing the same thing. And Stuart Alderati and, uh, sorry, and Elon Musk taking the time to acknowledge Stuart Alderati and Brad Garlinghouse tells me he's aware of Ripple XRP, not only the lawsuit, but the real world impact that this currency is going to have. So Gonzo, I'm going to give the open floor before I put in my two cents. What do you think about Elon Musk acknowledging this and the fact that it seems like he's siding with Ripple over the corrupt SEC? Yeah, I think he is too. I think the whole 420 thing, I think it goes into like uh, the kind of like the inside joke of him getting sued um, for, uh, you know, making that comment about taking Tesla private, whatever that was. So I think they're kind of just laughing in the background. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, like uh, Andrew was saying that they talk, man, if you look at Elon Musk, he's obsessed with X, right? SpaceX, uh, I think he named his child, right? X. I mean, there's a lot of connections to the X and Elon Musk. I know that he's mostly connected with dogecoin and when he talks dogecoin moves right but um i wouldn't be surprised like if at some point in the future 
uh, we see something with Elon Musk, Elon Musk and, uh, and XRP just because of his fascination. There was the other thing too, like when he left um, PayPal, right? X.com, that was the other thing, right? Yeah. So he, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, he's obsessed with, uh, with the letter X. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he's something in the future that's connected with like Ripple, XRP and uh, Elon Musk. So let's have a different conversation here. David Schwartz obviously tweeted this out and we know this is a joke. I'm taking XRP private at $420, funding secured. Gonzo, I think this plays into what we showed at the beginning of the episode where Stuart Alderati tweeted out, he's more confident than ever in Ripple's defense against the SEC. And I think that them being so popular and so ambitious on Twitter, tweeting out these things that are almost critical, but jokingly so of the SEC, I think it shows us that we're getting close to a settlement and many of the Ripple executives may know something behind the scenes that the general public does not know today. But guys, we got 263 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. If you're enjoying this content, please do us a favor. Smash that like button down below. But Andrew Cashflow, just to close us out here, why do you believe Joel Klatz tweeted this out? Let's go down some conspiracy theory rabbit holes. (laughs) Yeah, you know... uh... We, we're also making fun here in the Good Morning Crypto Show. So why don't they do it? And, and, and uh, indeed, what, what you say is uh, they, they probably know something with the SEC. It's, it's all, yeah, it's one big game. And, you know, if, if, you, if you can't beat it on the short time, just make fun about it. And it, it is no fun. You know, this is no fun for the SEC, what's happening here. Absolutely not. And, and yeah, yeah we, can, we can only laugh about it. Absolutely. And what's interesting is that David Schwartz said this was a joke, but this isn't the only detail that David Schwartz took the time to respond to. And before we get into our XRP buyback topic for today, Gonzo, you got to comment on this. Back in 2021 of February, during the bull run, Elon Musk tweeted out a picture. It said Frodo was the underdog. All thought he would fail himself most of all. Well, what does this picture have? It has a list of all the cryptocurrencies trading in the market today, but at the top of the screen is the XRP to Bitcoin pair. That in and of itself is more validation that Elon Musk is very aware of the of our cryptocurrency and the fact that this could be the token to rule them all. Elon Musk doesn't do many things by accident. Do you think it's a coincidence that XRP is at the top of this list, Gonzo? No, I don't. Uh, and it, and if you look at like the underdog thing, if we go back to like when the when the lawsuit first came out and we had that major price correction, and everyone just assumed that you know. XRP or Ripple was just going to be like all the other companies that the SEC has gone after and was either going to go bankrupt, right, or was going to have to capitulate to the SEC. And we saw a totally different story. And you've seen kind of that momentum shift, right? Um, A few months ago, when we were talking about the amicus briefs, right, you had all these companies that had stayed quiet. And now all of a sudden, everybody was dying to do an amicus brief to defend uh, XRP because love it or hate it, right? whether you you think it's a banker coin or you hate XRP or what have you, um, I think that the case itself is very important into what can happen with cryptocurrency, right? We just saw what happened with the library case. And you can see that if they win this case, there are going to be uh, reverberations throughout the crypto, uh, the crypto space, right? Because if they lose, right? And, and I don't think they're going to lose, but let's say that they lose and they find that it's a security, that they rolled it as a security and even worse, that secondary sales are a security, we're screwed. Not only are we screwed, right? But all the other, it's like an open season on, on all of them, including Ethereum, right? Because once they set that precedent, 
we just emboldened him to go after all all of them, right? Because and he, and and he will, right? Because it's all a power grab. So um, I I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, you know, like I said, I keep saying the same thing over and over, but you know, I think they're going to lose, right? And yeah. uh, that the SEC is going to lose. Gonzo, I want to get back to you. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. You know what I was thinking? Uh, why is XRP and Ripple now so close with the Bank of England? And I was thinking, who was the world reserve currency before the US dollar became the world reserve currency? That was the Great Britain pound. So, and why isn't the Great uh, the, the British pound not anymore the world reserve currency? That was because of the First and the Second World War, because they had, they had to, yeah, they almost bankrupted themselves, though they couldn't uh, do that anymore. So, I think if the Bank of England can can also take a piece of the pie for uh, maybe a, a split reserve currency in the future, they will do it because if the whole world saw what America is doing with devaluating the dollar, all the oil needs to be uh, uh, paid in dollars, and you know, and so they, the United States is the winning country with creating money out of nothing, out of thin air, and actually. Every country wants to do that, and and I think if if yeah if it is together with the CDBC uh, in, in the Bank of England and 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 Ripple XRP, there are maybe some loopholes at least to get a better position for maybe a next world reserve currency or at least a next world payment system next to SWIFT. And if the if the US is not willing to cooperate in that position, maybe the UK can do. You know, it's it's just a, a, a thinking of my mind, and absolutely, it's it's something that we. But I mean, Ripple likes to 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 partner with the Bank of England, but it takes two to tango. So in this case, also Bank of England like to partner with Ripple. Absolutely, so one on one is two. You know. There's a lot of coincidences, Andrew, and what sticks out to me as well is that back in 2018, when Tesla was sued by the SEC, after the resolution of their lawsuit, Tesla had the most profitable 24-month period for a U.S. stock in the history of our stock market. Now, can we apply that same concept to XRP? I don't know. But what I do know is that when a similar case was resolved in the library, even though they lost, that token did a 3x in the next 24 hours. I do not anticipate something similar will happen with XRP, although I do believe we will get a steady price increase regardless of the outcome. Once this lawsuit is over, it's going to be optimistic for the market as long as they don't rule it as initially a security. And that to me gets me very excited. But guys, we got 283 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're about to show you the latest update from David Schwartz as he took the time to comment on the buyback rumors that are taking place today. This is very interesting. So I'm going to do a little verbal breakdown of what's taking place. And anybody feel free to correct me in the live chat if I get anything wrong. So from my understanding right now, what's taking place is there's a community being formed to create an escrow for a buyback. Now that buyback would be sold to the Federal Reserve and hopefully they're stating they want $130,000 for every XRP in the market today. Now, obviously, anybody who knows about how cryptocurrency works, that's not going to happen. But what we can talk about is how people are anticipating that a buyback may take place. And David Schwartz was very critical of this idea. So David Schwartz talking about the buyback committee and the escrow being formed. He said, I haven't looked at it very closely, but what I have seen looks an awful lot like a scam to me. If we've learned anything from 2012 to 2022, it's that anyone promising high returns for low risk is almost certainly going to rob you. And I think that's the theme of this article right here. Everybody wants your hard-earned income. Everybody wants your hard-earned money. Replacing your cryptocurrency with an NFT, in my opinion, 
it's a risk. I don't care if it's a buyback committee. I don't care if it's an NFT project. I don't care if Logan Paul's telling you to buy the NFT. Anytime you're exchanging your crypto for an NFT project, you're putting the trust in those holders. And this buyback committee thing, it just has a weird feeling around it. I'd like to hear from the other members of our group before we go into the details here. Gonzo, we'll start with you and then kick it to Andrew. How do you feel about David Schwartz tweet and what it means about the XRP buyback? Yeah, you know, I haven't done a lot of research on the XRP buyback thing, but, you know, I, I've read Twitter posts and tweets and, and, and just kind of seeing that there's something that's going on back and forth. But, um, I, you know, I, I would agree with you, uh, Abs. You know, that's been my experience with, with NFT projects, right? Like a, a lot of them um, ended up being rug pulls or just fizzled out or, you know, we had, they had major issues, right? And so, um, you know, not your keys, not your crypto is kind of like our, our ethos, right? And so I would be very hesitant to turning over any of my crypto assets, right? In, 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 uh, and then expecting to get something in return, right? And like I said, I don't know, I, I haven't really looked into this, so I, I don't know what's going on with, with the technicals of it or, or whether it's a scam or, or not a scam, uh, but I, I, I do agree with you as far as, uh, you know, turning over my, my crypto assets to someone else thinking that I'm going to get a shit ton of money. Uh, I, I would be very, uh, very weary of that. I'm always weary of a, of a mindset that puts the power in someone else's hands, sitting there and thinking that the big banks are going to come together and save the XRP community or the federal reserve is going to come together and make us all extremely wealthy. We've never seen it before. And I seriously doubt we'll see it in my lifetime. But Andrew, I wanted to get your thoughts on this as well as David Schwartz wasn't just commenting about the buyback. He commented about the Ripple Riddler community. So somebody said, I must ask your thoughts on the Riddler community. Why do you follow Baba Cugs, who's been promising returns for years? He said, if I see someone say something funny or interesting, I'll often follow them. Sometimes I follow people just because they ask me to. Sometimes I don't. It's semi-random, and I hope people don't see it as endorsement. I actually took the time to ask David Schwartz to follow my account after this tweet but he left me on red. So he's not following us yet, guys. I did want to get your thoughts on this, Gonzo, because I found it to be interesting. He said the Ripple Riddler community is more amusing and funny than serious. And I think that's very important because we always talk about price predictions and things of that nature. Well, David Schwartz doesn't buy into it. So really briefly, before we get into our next article, how do you feel about David Schwartz criticizing the, the Rippler community, stating there's really no valid ar argument here? Um. Like I said, like, I don't know. I don't know much about it, but like, you know, I, but I do agree. I, I don't like doing price predictions, right? Because we never know, but you know, it, you can't verify things, right? Like it's the same thing like with SHIB, right? When they say it's going to go to one cent, when you do the math on it, um, it would have to be like the total market cap would have to grow. Like all of crypto would have to be like a few X up for it to go to a cent. So when you start doing the math, um, it, it doesn't add up. Do I believe that XRP is going to 130,000 a token? Uh, no, I don't believe that. Maybe at some, maybe in 2050 or something crazy like that, but not in the immediate future. I find it so funny, Gonzo, because I remember right? the days. I remember the days when people would talk about 589 and say that's not predictable. Look at how this community's evolved. We've moved past the hundreds. We've moved past the four-figure price targets. We're in <laughs> six-figure price targets here. Right. I really have no idea as to why. And I love that crap. Just... It's, it's, it's BS and so much money. You know, do you have any idea how much money there need to be in the world to bring XRP to $130,000? It's, it's, it's BS. Impossible. 
to say something else about this NFT discussion we have. You know that you can exchange your your XRP for for an NFT token. First thing you need to do when you buy an NFT, look at the utility and look at the team. Do you trust them? The the utility behind the token is is it is it worth that? And and you know, and if you give your XRP to somebody else and you get a worthless NFT, I mean, I'm 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 I've never been a, a fan of of, uh, of of NFTs up up till now, but uh, now certainly not. I'm I'm not a fan for uh, for uh, XRP NFTs. For me, that's an exotic project, and you know how much money we put in an exotic project. Two to five hundred dollars. <laughs> Anybody who watches our show, yeah, right. know. yeah. two to five hundred dollars, guys. I'm watching the chat, and uh, you know, I, I forgot who it was because it's scrolling by really fast. But that's a good point. Can we get like to all time high first? I mean, I, the way I'm looking at it, I take everything in ranges. Can we get to the fifty three cent range first? I mean, we. Like we continue, like we just barely got above, above the 40 cent range, right? Where that's the bottom. And then we broke down a little bit. So we have to see if we're retesting that as resistance. But yeah, can we get to a dollar? Can we get back to like all time highs before we start talking about like 130,000, uh, you know, XRP token? And I know like it's fun to do and, and we laugh about it and stuff like that. But there are people that take things like serious. And then that's where they make mistakes where, like, you know, they take out some crazy loan and they, and they put all of their money into it and it doesn't work out and then they get wrecked, right? You got, you got to be smart about things uh, is what I'm saying. But yeah, can we get to all-time highs first, please? Like before we start talking about like, you know, all these other astronomical numbers, like, let's just get to all-time high. And Gonzo, interestingly enough, the XRP price chart, while we're getting all this optimistic news between the lawsuit and behind the scenes, well, now the price chart is showing some optimistic price action as well. We are finally turning bullish, guys. And, and I know this chart doesn't show it here, but I could pull up another chart later in the episode showing that we actually had a golden cross form, which is when the 200 moving day average passes below the 50 day moving average. And we finally get some bullish momentum. That means a large chunk of buyers are now profitable. And this project is ready to head up in that other direction. But we got 314 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We are not done with our XRP content for today, as we're going to show you how Ripple has already bought 8.4 billion XRP off the open market. But before we do that, we're going to show you the smartest way to track your crypto. Here we go. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and totals since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. It's the smartest way to track your crypto, Andrew Cashflow, but... We're going to talk about something a little bit more interesting right now because this is a detail I did not know about, guys, and it has to do with the XRP community. So Ripple purchases 8.4 billion XRP from secondary market sales 
since the SEC's lawsuit. And the reason they're stating is to sustain the price of XRP. So the Ripple commits billions to buying back XRP off the open market. Ripple Labs has spent nearly 75% of the revenue generated from its sales of XRP on buying the token back from secondary market. The company has spent $8.4 in buying back the token from secondary markets to meet the needs of its ODL clients. Now, Gonzo, interestingly enough, what I like about this article is it says Ripple XRP sales in quarter four were around $2.96 billion. Interestingly enough, the company brought in $2.73 billion worth of XRP from secondary sales. So let's talk about the reason why. Do you believe they're leasing out this XRP or why would Ripple be buying XRP from the open market? Yeah, you know, it, it's not a it's not a secret. Um, I, I know that it came up on a, a Twitter spaces before and, and they're very transparent in what they do. And I, I remember in the Twitter spaces when the FTX collapse was happening, they tried to infer that this was the same thing as SPF trying to prop up the FTT token. Um, and, and it's not right because he did that in secret. They had no idea what was going on. Um, and Brad Garlinghouse has been very transparent that, that they do this. Um, now I, I don't want to guess on, on why they do that. It could be to stabilize the price. It could be because they're buying back because it's cheaper right now. And they see that it's going to appreciate in value. It could be like what you're talking about as they roll out ODL, instead of having their partners buy it, they lease it to them, or maybe they come up with some kind of deal where they use ripples XRP for their o ODL, whatever they're doing with. So there's a lot of different reasons, but what I look at is the transparency this is not a secret. It's something that Brad Garlinghouse has talked about and that they've been doing for some time. And it reminds me of that Twitter spaces from last September when Brad Garlinghouse went on a Twitter spaces with Mario. And that's what's really interesting because he talked about how he's one of the only companies in the space today, not only trying to work with the SEC, but providing full clarity on their balance sheets and showing us exactly what the company is doing behind the scenes. So for me, this is positive news. And I'm not really sure about the spin that the author put on this article he said that they're buying up this XRP in order to keep the price from going down. I disagree. I think it has to do with ODL. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? People trying to use their ODL system. And in order to do that, they need the currency to facilitate transactions. So it could be that simple cash flow. What does it mean to you? It's just a business case. I mean, if you have a customer and you sell them the ODL product, then they say, okay, where's the fuel for the ODL product? Oh, we have, uh, we have some, uh, some XRP for you so you can use it. But of course, you have to pay an amount of money per, per week or per month or per day to, to use it. And, and that's then, you know, and then they, they maybe earn their XRP back in a, in, in, yeah, in a sort of a return on investment period of maybe, maybe a year, maybe two years. And especially when the price is so low as currently, yeah, you can, can make a wonderful deal that you stay the owner of the XRP, which is Ripple in this case, and you just lease it with, with the product. And you, and you give it to your partners and, and just that use it. So I think it's, it's, it's just a matter of uh, doing the math and, and, and building your business case around a new, a new customer and if, if they need, to, need the, the tokens. Gonzo, and I think this is one of the reasons that the United States is fearful of what Ripple is doing around the world. Moving away from a United States-dominated system into a system that's dominated by blockchain that threatens Bank of America, that threatens JP Morgan. It threatens a lot of the people who control the markets today. So it's no surprise that we have people like Jamie Dimon being the most critical of cryptocurrencies. Just to close us out on this article, Gonzo, I wasn't sure if I heard it. What was your conspiracy as to why they are purchasing XRP off the open market? Could it be that the token is as low as it's ever going to be? And Ripple understands that. 
Yeah, like I said, it, it could be that. Um, I think it uh, it has to do, it could also be like the ODL thing, right? With the partnership, right? Them giving or leasing the XRP to their ODL partners. But like I said, what I think is key about it is that it's not a secret. They've been talking about this and they've been doing it, right? Which for me, and everybody's different, right? Like you guys do your own research and whatever you believe, this is just what I believe. The fact that he's been transparent at it, for me, doesn't mean that it's nefarious, right? And I'm, and I'm going to keep my investment thesis. I'm going to invest in XRP. And you know what? And there's people that are going to come on the show and they're not going to agree with everything we say. But all I have to say to you guys is we love you, right? We love everybody here. And we're open to everyone's opinion. Like, that's what we're here for. We're not going to always agree within the team members, right? Sometimes we don't agree. A lot of the times that we do, but sometimes we don't. And we have conversations about it. And there are some times that the guys convince me about something because they have a very good, uh, they break down something. And I'm like, oh, you know, what? I didn't think about that. And I think I do the same for them. And so th that's what we're here to do. But we love everybody. Absolutely, Gonzo. And there's a bunch of articles that I want to get to before the end of this episode. But this one stuck out to me as FTX is sending confidential letters to politicians demanding that they return the millions of dollars that Sam Bankman Free donated. Interestingly enough, they're demanding that these funds be returned by February 28th, 2023. And anybody who's been following this case knows that Joe Biden's campaign actually received over $5 million from FTX. Now, as of March 2020 to November of 2022, FTX donated over $93 million in political donations, making Sam Bankman-Fried the second largest donor in all of America. What also was suggested by this new data released is that 169, sorry, 196 members of Congress accepted campaign contributions from FTX. Now, FTX debtors reserve the right to commence actions before the bankruptcy court in order to return such payments. So to put that plainly, FTX is going to sue United States politicians who do not return the political donations. Andrew Cashflow, I got to know what this means to you. Uh, mute button, Andrew. You know, sometimes... I, I live I live in the Netherlands, but sometimes I don't understand the the, the the system in in the US. I mean, first you give something away, and then if you you if yourself you go bankrupt, then you you sue those those people that you gave it away. You sue that that, that they have to give it back to you. Can can you still follow? I can't I can't follow anymore. So may, yeah. maybe maybe yeah. knows it, but what I see this is stinking. It is stinking. I think. Um, 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 SBF maybe thought if I put enough money to all the politicians they will help me if I get in bad weather now we've seen what happens he is uh, yeah he is uh, either is still in the house of his parents or he is uh, in jail at the moment I actually don't know where he is but uh, there is no much if you know if, if the money dries up your friends also dry up and your friends go away so uh, and that that's uh, that's what happened and but still i don't understand why you can sue somebody if you first gave it away guys please be respectful in the live chat i do not like blocking people in our community but unfortunately i had to block one member today so please don't let that represent what goes on here show us some love smash that like button it's all love and high vibrations on this channel and gonzo i want to kick it to you as 196 members of congress are confirmed to have accepted political contributions from ftx and now we're going to see them all be returned. So interestingly enough, do you think any United States politicians are going to be unwilling to return the funds they received from FTX? Um, no, I don't, because this is bad publicity, right? We knew kind of this thing was coming. And it's not just the politician. It's certain kind of political funds or action groups 
that got the money. So I just hope they have the money to give, right? I'm sure they do. But because if they don't, uh, it's not only going to look bad and it could be like a media nightmare, but they're going to get charged interest, right? And so, um, and we're going to see this more and more. There, it's gonna, What's going to be really interesting is this part of it. And then the other part of other investments where they invested, I think there was like an AI company that they invested in. Um, you know, there's Ledger, there's other things that they invested in, Robinhood, right? What are they going to do with those shares? Are they going to end up liquidating that stuff and then taking that money and giving it back to the, to the customers? Because in the end, if they prove that all of that money that was used to buy those assets was the customer funds, then rightfully so, that money should come back to the customers. So it's going to be interesting how it plays out. But I don't think as far as the politicians, I don't, they don't want that negative heat. So I'm sure they're going to no problem with giving that money back. Andrew Castle and Gonzo, we actually have an answer to that question there. FTX New Teams plans to repay its creditors by selling $4.6 billion worth of non-strategic investments. That would include stablecoins, Ledger X, Embedded, FTX Japan, and FTX Europe. I'd also like to point out that Sam Bankman-Fried has currently pled not guilty on all accounts. So Andrew Clashford, before we continue with our articles, what do you think about this FTX news here and the fact that they are selling a lot of the assets that Gonzo just referenced? You're good, Andrew. Yeah, You're I, good. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I, I don't follow it anymore. Um, they, they are giving, uh, asking money back. Then they are giving money to, to others. Uh, I mean, can, can you still explain it, what is happening here? I'm, I'm a little bit lost. Yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah, maybe it was a little bit confusing. So FTX currently owes, I believe they owe an additional $4 billion to people who they accredited. So far, they were originally in debt $9 billion. They've paid back five. Now there's about $4 billion left. Their team came out and said that they plan to sell $4.6 billion worth of non-strategic investments, meaning subsidiaries such as Ledger X, Embedded, FTX Japan, and FTX Europe. And Gonzo referenced that as well. He said, if they're going to pay back debtors, these are the assets they should be selling, and that's what the team's doing. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Okay, now yeah, if 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 that's the case, I I, I think it's it's way not enough that that they will that they will, will get out of it. But yeah, at least it's it's a step into the direction, and then you know then the fight will will begin. Who who get how how much money back from all the from all the people that uh, had had funds at uh, at FTX? So, I mean. Look what what happened in the past with that uh, that, that Bitcoin exchange uh, ten years ago. I mean, such a process can take years and years and years before people get their money back. We also see it with uh, with Celsius. A lot of people, uh, yeah, they were in Celsius with their money, uh, and uh, I think it will it will take also another sev- several years be- before this is, is solved. So, um, again. For all the all the people that are watching at the moment, use a crypto exchange where it is meant for to exchange crypto, and it is not a wallet to store or hold your crypto. You know, and that's what I like to say about it. Either do it in a hot wallet. I like it very much on on Exodus and Atomic Wallet because they are easy to use and very user friendly. If you're what more what more nervous, you can do a, 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 a ledger wallet, but uh, take your crypto off of an exchange and only if you have fiat money on an exchange only leave the money there that you really need for for your trading or investing and else take it take it away and uh, and be very careful with uh, with what you do 
100%. And Andrew, we got 302 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. There's a bunch of things that I'd like to add. But the first thing I want to address, Andrew, I can confirm you are not artificial intelligence. There's an argument going on in the chat. Is Andrew Castle a real human being? Yes, Andrew Castle is a real human being. But Gonzo, one of the things that sticks out to me in this article is they owe over $4 billion currently, and they're asking for $93 million back from U.S. politicians. Although that's a huge chunk of cash, it's really nothing in the grand scheme of the debt that they owe. Just to close us out here, do you believe that's going to play any role in paying back people? Or what's going on here? Is this political theater? Um, no. And, and like the chat was saying, uh, I'm sure the politicians you know, have that money. Uh, and so they're going to give it back. What will be interesting is like maybe some of the political action funds that aren't as rich as the politicians, uh, what happens with them? And like I said, and then the investments and they're going to find more. Right. As this thing plays out, like Andrew says, um, sometimes it takes years, but they're going to continue to search out these assets and figure out where all that money went so they can get as much of it back as possible. And while, uh, you know, ninety three million dollars in the overall is a drop in the bucket it does start to add up uh, once they start finding the different pockets, right? Um, and like I said, um, there was an interesting article that happened over the weekend where FTX had made, or Sam Bankerfeed had made a investment into an AI company. I wanna say it was like 500 million or something like that. Wow. And now Google just recently invested 300 million into that company because wow. they're trying to compete with Microsoft. So the question is, you know, uh, is this AI company desperate because um, they have to give that money back, right? That, that there's something going on and that Google is going to maybe bail them out. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to see that. They're going to continue to try to track down the money and we're going to continue to see. If you if you guys saw the Bernie Madoff documentary that Waters Above talked about and we've talked about, um, there, there was clawbacks in that case where there was people that um, if they were part of him, uh, part of if they had invested in him in, since the beginning and they had actually made money and they were in the positive, they went after those people for that positive money. They went after them. Um, so um, these are the things that happen. And in, in when you get something like this with a fraud, they're going to go out and, and look for that money to get it back, to give it back to the customers. Absolutely, Gonzo. And we've got a bunch of great news prepared, but I wanted to quickly touch on these two articles here. JP Morgan just released a new report talking about how 72% of inv institutional investors have no plans to trade cryptocurrency. Now, we can talk about if this is a misdirection or not, but I wanted to break down the details that they released. So they actually surveyed 835 institutional traders in 60 global locations that participated in this survey. The survey found that 72% of uh, traders surveyed have no plans to trade crypto or any digital coins. Within the next five years, 14% are predicting that they're not currently trading, but plan to. 8% are currently trading and 6% are not currently trading crypto, but plan to enter this market in the next 12 months. Now, Gonzo, what's interesting enough is that many of these institutional investors understand how crypto is taking over from a policy standpoint, from a real world use case standpoint, but they're unwilling to trade these cryptos. And what I think is that many of these institutional investors who were surveyed don't get to decide exactly what they're investing in. I think they're told a basket of goods. I know that if you work at like an S&P 500 company and you're a VC, they give you a sheet. The sheet's about 300 companies long and you get to go through and you create a variation from that sheet, from the companies that they've given you. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the same thing and no cryptocurrencies were on these lists for JP Morgan. What does it mean to you, Gonzo? That's my two cents. Yeah, because and remember too, and they're regulated companies and they have to follow certain rules, right? 
Uh, and that's why we talk about regulation, that we're waiting for regulation or clarity to come to the market so these guys actually can invest because um, they're not going to go against the SEC. Um, and then the other thing that I think about is, you know, it depends on what kind of trading. I, I think a lot of these guys, what they want to get into is the custody part, right? They want to get into custodying your crypto, right? I, I think they see that. So either creating a wallet or just becoming the marketplace so that they can continue to gain fees. I think that's where, where they're kind of seeing this thing going as opposed to kind of just trading, whether that's trading where you're like trading spot trading or leverage trading or just buying the asset, waiting for it to go up and then selling. Um, I, I think where they see a future with this institutional money is what Coach JV always talks about is them custodying your crypto. And then, you know, you, you're, you're able to feel safe or most people are able to feel safe that, hey, look, my, they, uh, you know, Fidelity has my crypto, even though they really don't, right? Because you can't pull it off. They're kind of selling you a product. But for most people, they're not like us that um, are in crypto or that watch the show that understand that, you know, you want to own your crypto. You want to be able to control it. And you're not just buying some product from one of these. But most people aren't going to be that way, right? Some of these people are going to go with like Fidelity because of the name Fidelity, right? And, and because of the reassurances that they're going to have that their crypto is going to be safe because they don't want to mess with it. Um, and so that's why I think a lot of it is them getting into the custody part of it. Let me give you, let me give you some examples here what I hear in the Netherlands here. Um, when I talk to people that work with the bank, they are not allowed in the bank to talk about crypto because the bank sees it really as a risk. So that's one. Um, when I want, with my, with my own company, when I want to send money to Coinbase, for example, not allowed, not allowed. From a private, uh, from a private bank account, I can do it, but not from my business bank account. Other story. Uh, I, I know a guy, he is a, he's a very big company with a lot of uh, trucks and his IT systems were hacked by uh, a, a team in, in Russia. And so, and, and they, he had to, to pay Bitcoin. So, and he, he wasn't in Bitcoin at all. So he went to the bank and said, okay, what do I need to do? Because my trucks need to, to ride on the road and without an IT system, it's impossible. The, the bank said, no problem, sir. We have a special team here. That can take care of this and they arranged everything they 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 sent the 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 the, the bitcoin to the to the even you know and even the guys in russia they have a help desk a help desk to help you how to send bitcoin to their wallets so or or, or other cryptos so but but then you know it's so double so i, I also imagine that a lot of people are just forbidden to in banks to, forbidden to talk about crypto yeah and then it's depending who you ask in the bank uh, if they are yeah, willing or, or planning to, to use crypto trading or whatever, they might not even know. And they say, no, pro probably not. So that's more my, uh, my two cents here, what I see happening uh, in the Netherlands. It's so double. Absolutely, Andrew. And we got two comments I want to address in the live chat right now. David H. commented, institutions don't want everyone knowing what they plan to do until they do it. The impact of their intentions would slash will impact that the price they pay for the assets. Completely agree. And I think there's validation in this article about that exact sentence there. The, the institutional investors that were surveyed said cryptocurrencies and digital coins will have the biggest increase in electronic trading volumes over the next year. In addition, 100% of the responding traders predicted they will increase electronic trading activity and eventually they will be going through a blockchain. But Gonzo, before we talk about that, one last article I wanted to address. 
Visa's crypto strategy targets stablecoin settlements, and specifically, they are only going to be using Ethereum. So Visa put out a statement and said, we've been testing how to actually accept settlements from payments issuing USDC starting on Ethereum. Now, these are going to be large value settlement payments and could be a major upgrade for the entire financial system. They said the same way we convert dollars to euros in cross-border transactions, we should be able to convert digital tokenized dollars into traditional dollars. So the fact that Visa and JP Morgan understand this is coming, some great insight into where we're going over the next couple of years. But guys, we got 272 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Christopher said, thanks for the global view. That's what we do on GMC. But Gonzo, I'd love to get some of your thoughts and then we'll continue. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. If you look, there was a statistic that we looked at a few weeks ago. When you look at total settlements for Visa and MasterCard, if you join them together, there's been more settlements on USDT and USDC combined. So they see where that money is going, right? And so they want to be part of it. Uh, And I'm not surprised that it's Ethereum. Ethereum is the number one smart contract. It's the biggest one that we have. They just recently went to proof of stake and they're doing all of their upgrades so that they can, um, so that they're able to scale. But in the meantime, we have all of the layer twos, right? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing them talk about whether it's Polycon, Arbitrum or Optimistic, right? Or Optimism. Those are all layer two scaling solutions that um, they're able to scale Ethereum. So they're able to do transactions off to the side that are cheap and that are fast, but they're still using or leveraging the security of the Ethereum network. And so I think we're going to see that more and more. Thank you, Gonzo. And we're going to close this show out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Andrew Cashflow. Thank you to Gonzo, also known as Super G, and sending love to our friend Johnny Crypto. We got 257 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We're going to close it out the same way we always do. Warriors, rise. Get shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go.